Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of the book of Jude. False teaching and apostasy had entered the church in Asia Minor, and Jude addresses this problem in his letter. Our lesson this week will be taught by Associate Pastor Scott Basolo, a new voice on Heritage Bible Radio. Please listen to Pastor Scott as he delivers the Tuesday portion of this week's message entitled, Details and Distractions of Faith. Peter was concerned about having given up everything in his early life as a believer, and he shared that concern with Jesus. And in Mark 10, the Lord responded to Jesus' concern. And in Mark 10, 29, we read, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father, or children, or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And so Peter was thinking, Lord, we've, we've come to follow you. We've left everything. I've left the fishing. My wife is kind of off on the side. I don't see her very often. I've, I've left my family and my tradition. And, and Lord, what do I have? Because he's just finished telling them that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the Lord then tells him this truth. And we have to ask, okay, in the age to come, we're going to get all these. How do we get it now? How do I have hundreds of times of brothers and sisters and mothers and farms? Look around you, beloved. Hundreds of brothers, hundreds of sisters, hundreds of mothers, hundreds of farms. And these are what we hold in common. And this is the blessing that we have in our common salvation. And how incredibly grand is this commonality to rejoice in our common worship, to come together on Sunday and lift our voices in praise as God is glorified and our hearts raised to the heavens to recognize the commonality of our faith, to lift one another up in our earthly suffering and struggles, knowing that in all this and more, we each have all things in common. It's incredible. It reminds me of when our sons were born. I just wanted to run out and tell everyone that would hear that God has blessed us with a child. God has blessed us with a child. Can you believe that? And beloved brothers and sisters, as I was overflowing with joy, this must be the same exuberance in your Christian lives. But the question is, do you have this exuberance? Do you rejoice with the anticipation Saturday night, getting ready for a good night's sleep, not turning on that movie at 9 o'clock that's going to take you to 1130, even on daylight savings time? 
but, but going to bed to get a good night's sleep because tomorrow on Sunday, I get three whole hours to spend with those who love Christ and who love me and who are pursuing the same thing I am. What a beautiful consideration. Do you delight to speak with one another in this body about matters of Scripture, about matters of well-being, about other things of eternal significance, and not simply the weather or sports or other trivialities. This is the exuberance we must have in our common salvation. This is the exuberance of Jude in unshakable eagerness. But alas, this was not to be his subject. Rather, Jude was divinely guided to write of a different topic. And we're introduced to that topic in our second point, unavoidable engagement. Unavoidable engagement. The second half of verse 3 takes us to to Jude's necessary subject, where he writes, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude begins the main body of his letter with two strongly emphatic aspects, those of necessity and of appealing. This wasn't an optional topic. The original translation would well be stated as, I have necessity to write. Something created an abrupt U-turn in Jude's direction of writing, from wanting to write about their common salvation. He wanted to just exude the joys that they held together in their lives in Christ and to make this a love manual of all that Christ had done for him. And isn't that a delightful thought? But he was unable to do so. Rather, he was brought by God to bring forth this urgent matter. And that was the and that item and that matter was the false teachers of verse four and the rest of Jude's epistle. Jude is compelled to enter into this discussion, both because of his love for this group and because he's the only one to do so. Both Paul and Peter had influence on this group, perhaps were even known personally to this church that Jude writes to. And we'll see the influence of Paul and Peter on Jude repeatedly throughout this letter. We'll see it in this verse, and we also see it in verse 17 and many other other cases. And yet, both Paul and Peter are dead. So Jude alone is left to take up his pen. Commentator Gabeline notes that here at the end of the New Testament is a great illustration of how the Word of God came into being. That is, that God gave it to His chosen human instruments, as 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 tells us. This wasn't man just getting an idea, hey, I think I'm going to write something down. Hey, I think I, I heard about Jesus in a dream. You know, I read something in one of the Old Testaments, and I have a better idea about what it says. This is not Jesus calling. This is God, through His Holy Spirit, speaking through men. Not an act of human will. 
Furthermore, we know that per 2 Timothy 3.16, that this is the God-breathed word. God literally breathed out his word through the human instruments and their natural inclination to write to bring about the perfect and inerrant word that we hold in our hands. This word that he says here, this appealing, or as some versions say, exhorting, this also can mean to implore or to beg. There's the strongest of emotion brought forward in this. As excellent commentator D. Edmund Hebert notes, this is not a casual teaching moment. This is an exhortation to action with all the authority of God as the ultimate source. The details of this content require the strongest emphasis. And the point of all this emphasis is to make sure that hearers contend earnestly for the faith. The verb translated contend earnestly is a compound verb used only here in the New Testament. The root of that Greek word is agonizomai. It's where we get our English word agonize. And you can hear the parallels. The origination of the word comes from the sports world where putting forth the most extreme efforts such that they were leaving nothing back. In our modern vernacular, we would speak of this as leaving it all on the field. The verb also can reference a conflict or a fight or a lawsuit. One commentator notes, it is a fight standing upon the truth of faith which is assaulted and which the adversary desires to take away. Only here the verb is even more emphatic and has the idea of a defensive battle waged with every ounce of effort as one stands in front of that which he is protecting. And here that element protected is faith. This is very much like David as he faced Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Behind him is all Israel, King Saul and all of the armies. And if David were to lose the battle with the giant, which it appeared likely that he would, all of the army would become the slaves of the Philistines. So in a very real sense, David is contending earnestly for the nation. And in a physical and figurative sense, standing in front of them and also standing upon them and their freedom. And so it is with Jude's exhortation for them to contend earnestly for the faith. The very lifeblood of faith was at risk if they did not engage in this battle. And beloved, you must not miss that this same admonition comes down to you today. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul spoke of the same thing as he instructed young Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Undoubtedly, Jude knew of Paul and Peter's writings and he understood the same admonition that this was a fight that was a good fight and one that is one that must be engaged in by all of the believers in the church. We note one other vitally important point in this discussion, as Hebert identifies, Jude is not advocating for a negative, offensive attack against the philosophy of these false teachers. 
He's not saying, go out and learn about all of the things that they believe that are errors and attack those things. Rather, he is proclaiming a positive defense of the truth of faith. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.